It is a sport as old as man itself. From the ancient Greeks to the British Empire, all the way to the Gracie family, men and women have partaken in this art of combat with the promise of honor and glory in mind. Now, WFUV Sports will bring you into that realm with in-depth analysis and opinions on the goings-on in the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. This is the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound Podcast. And this is a very special edition of the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound podcast on this Wednesday, October the 19th, 2016. My name is James Cargan. Alongside me, as always, the voice of God, Tom Trizuli. My good friend, Matt Breen. Producing behind the glass is the venerable Marina Castro. And our very special guest today, the main man himself, Ariel Hawani, the host of MMA Hour. Ariel, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, a, it's our pleasure, and we know that our great co-host, Matt Breen, was given a very special shout-out. I, I heard you met my father this weekend, Ariel. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. What a, what a coincidence this <laughs> Very is. funny coincidence. This, yes, this, he, he, uh, he has hosted on this show mm-hmm. before. Uh, ironically, I had not watched the li- latest MMA Hour when I Come on. emailed, when I, I, I got to it, I got to it. We, we are very busy here. I did get to it, but I had not watched it when I had contacted you about being on this week's show. So when I heard that you had mentioned our good friend Matt on the air, it was like, wow. But let's get right down to... Wait a second, wait a second. I have to tell you my story here. Oh, of course. First of all, you, you, got, you guys get out of the way. I need to talk to Matt. You are a very <laughs> All righty. All He's right. the star of the Your show dad. right now. Your dad is a is a living legend, and uh, you know to me he is maybe the greatest of all time at what he does. And on Saturday, uh, Sean Grandy, who is the radio voice of the Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. also does play by play for Bellator. He invited me to sort of sit in with him and his partner Cedric Maxwell because he knows that I'm a huge Knicks fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very kind of him. Got me a press pass and everything. And you know I was completely marking out inside. I mean I was professional on the outside, but it was such a joy to be there. And I went to Jeff Hornacek's pregame press conference, and your father, Mike Breen, was sitting just a few seats down. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, I can't believe, mm-hmm. you know, I get the opportunity to interview Connor and Rhonda and Dana White, all these people. But to me, like Mike Breen, just unbelievable, a living legend. Sure. And uh, when I was walking around backstage, someone who I was with, Jonah Ballo, who works for the New York Knicks, uh, introduced me to your dad. And um, he, I guess Sean had just told him what I was doing. And then he mentioned that you're a big UFC fan, so I gave him um, my email address in case you had any questions. But I was just so um, impressed by how warm and kind and friendly your dad was, on top of just being this massive, you know, celebrity and and, uh, influential voice of Knicks basketball in the NBA. So I'm a gigantic fan of your father's. And a funny thing that he said to me was, oh, wow, I got your email address, now I'm going to be the cool dad. And I said, forget that, you're Mike Green. You're already the coolest dad in the world. So uh, I'm just, I just had to say that I'm such a, such a fan of your father's, and it was really great to meet him, and now it's great to talk to you. I'm so happy that you're I, on the show. I appreciate the kind words about my father. <laughs> and, yes, I am, I am very glad. It, it's a very funny coincidence. I'm glad we get to come on and talk some MMA now. <sighs> yes, let's do it. Indeed, let is, let's do it. And the big news of the week has been George 
St. Pierre, he told you on your show that he is a free agent, that he was out of his UFC contract after the mix-up with his potential fight at UFC 206 in Toronto. The new ownership nixed that. But now you, the UFC and Zuffa are saying that he is not out of his contract. So a big yeah. mess there. What's the latest on that front? Who, who's right? Oh, I mean, well, you know, I'm no lawyer. GSP did uh, hire a lawyer by the name of James Quinn out of New York who has uh, extensive research and, and, and a background when it comes to this stuff. But, you know, it is, it is kind of a messy situation. It reminds me of the Randy Couture situation back Absolutely. in, I believe, 2007. Again, as I said on, on Monday, you know, there's two sides to every story. And, you know, unfortunately, given GSP's situation, just because he declares himself a free agent, it doesn't mean that the UFC is not going to stand in his way. And clearly they are going to stand in his way. Now, one thing that is interesting to me is that Dana White continues to say that he doesn't believe GSP wants to fight anymore, um, that he's not interested in fighting. So to me, if you guys as a company believe that, why are you standing in his way? Um, if you have no interest in promoting his fights, why don't you just go let him pursue a career elsewhere? So, you know, obviously what he was saying wasn't exactly true, and there's a negotiation involved. And, and you know, ho hopefully they can figure it out or just let the man fight and Make a living elsewhere. I mean, we are in a, uh, a great, you know, a, a great time of change now as far as the UFC is concerned. A lot of employees getting lay, laid off. A lot of fighters going to sign elsewhere. Free agency is a big story this year. And I don't blame George St. Pierre for saying, look, I signed a contract in 2011. I stopped fighting in 2013. The UFC is a very different place. I can't have sponsors. I can't do this and that. You saw all this stuff. I need to get paid accordingly. And it's unfortunate because I think that every side would stand to make a lot of money if they came to an agreement. But right now, the new owners don't want to budge. Uh, Ariel, you touched on this a little bit, the fact that the UFC has such control over the fighters. And now we see situations like the GSP situation, like Jose Aldo, like all the free agents that are leaving and the layoffs. Are you seeing this right now as a bit of a rebellion against the UFC from the fighters? Now, I don't know if it's a rebellion. I think, um, I think when the company was sold back in July, it was closed in August for $4 billion. It was the first time in the history of the company that a number, a dollar figure, was attached to it. And because the UFC is private, because they don't make their numbers public, you know, the fighters never really knew what they were worth. Um, they never got a piece of the TV deal. You know, the Reebok deal was anemic. And they just kind of thought, all right, you know, this is what I'm making. It's the only game in town. And, uh, you know, if I speak up, I'm not going to get my locker room bonus. And you know, it's, it's, it's better not to speak up because uh, maybe I'll be in their, <clears throat> excuse me, in their good graces. And, you know, now a $4 billion number has been attached to the company. And I think that set off a light in many fighters' eyes and, and in their head. And they said, wait a second, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting paid nearly as much as I should be paid. This is a problem, and, and I don't think it's any coincidence that we're seeing this sort of uprising, if you will, um, from the creme de la creme, the top to the bottom. You know, guys like Anderson, GSP, guys like Ally Quinta, TJ Dillashaw, Mark mm -hmm. Hunt. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, we've never seen this before, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it's all coming after the sale. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time, and one thing that I don't think that they maybe took into account was you know, when someone, let's say a Donald Sterling, sells the L.A. Clippers, he leaves. He's gone. There's a new regime. Well, Dana White owned 9% of the UFC. 
the company was sold. We all know how much he made around like 350, 360 million. Then he gets signed a new deal for five uh, years, multi-million dollar deal. But he's still sticking around. He's still, you know, he's still the man in charge, um, negotiating with the fighters. And he's telling them, look, you know, you don't, you know, we can't pay you an extra hundred thousand. Well, in their minds, they're like, you just made, you know, 350 million. You know, you can't tell me that I, I don't deserve this and that. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess right now. Ariel, do you feel that like with the, the St. Pierre and Jose Aldo situation, with some fighters going to Bellator, such as Rory McDonald and uh, Benson Henderson, that maybe if these other companies besides the UFC get a lot of big-name fighters, that maybe they'll be better for the sport in general? That like well, other I, companies could get yeah, more built up? Sure. Well, I think that um, you know, competition is great for everyone. It's interesting. I spoke to Jerry Lawler, the you know, longtime pro wrestler oh, yeah. on Monday as well, mm-hmm. and I compared what we saw in the 90s from WWE, WWF to WCW with guys going back and forth, sort of what we're starting to see now with the UFC and Bellator. And he said that competition is always good, and even Vince McMahon would agree that competition is good because a rising tide lifts all boats. I think it ups everyone's game. I think it's better for the fighters. You know, I, I always feel bad for the female fighters because let's say you're like a 115-pounder. Let's say you're Rose Namajunas and your contract is up. Well, who can you go you know, on the free market to and try to get a better deal. You have no leverage. There's there's nowhere else to negotiate. Now, if you're Conor McGregor, everyone wants to sign you. If you're a GSP, everyone wants to sign you. If you're Roy McDonald, there's a lot of demand for you. If there's a guy like Benson Henderson out there, there's a lot of demand for you. So, you know, the fact that other organizations are coming up, uh, Bellator, World Series of Fighting, 1FC, not that long ago, you know, we had Elite XC, we had Affliction, the IFL was around, and they all went away. I think it's always healthier for the sport if the fighters have options and if they fight out their contracts and if they don't tie themselves down to, you know, for six to eight fights and they have no leverage. It's always better mm-hmm. for everyone involved, in my opinion, if that's the case. Yeah, it's a great comparison to uh, the wrestling of the old days. I'd say Vince McMahon loves competition as long as he wins. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean... Uh, I, I, look, of course, you know he wants to win. He wants to be number one. But I just think I mean I don't I don't watch pro wrestling anymore. But I do know that when someone is breathing down your neck, you up your game. You 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 think outside the box. You're not putting out you know sort of a mundane um, you know mundane content. Um, you don't have to just go through the motions, autopilot, whatever you want to say. If there's someone nipping at your heels. You're gonna you're gonna push and you're gonna try to you know beat them. So I, that's why that's why I feel like competition always breeds success. Now let me ask you uh, about the recent layoffs at the UFC. You tweeted out that it was a dark day for the company. How how deep exactly did these layoffs go? Well, before the layoffs, the UFC was home to around 350 employees worldwide, not just in Las Vegas but Toronto. Um, London, Singapore, Brazil, all over the place. Um, and I was told, it's hard to get an exact number, of course, but I was told that they were going to lay off around 60 to 80 employees. The UFC is saying it's, quote, less than, less than 15%, which I think is an interesting way to spin things. Um, but just today, earlier today, um, around 80% of the Toronto office was let go. And as far as the impact, I mean, some major executives were let go. Tom Wright, who was the head of the Canadian office, who helped legalize the sport in Ontario, who helped lift the cage ban in Victoria, 
Australia, who helped rewrite the criminal code in Canada to legalize the sport nationwide. Uh, Gary Cook, who is, um, you know, former uh, head man over at Manchester City, who came to the UFC to head up the UK office and then moved to Vegas to be the head of the global branding. Uh, Marshall Zelaznik, who is the head of content, who was former um, head of the UK office. Jamie Pollock, who is uh, the now former head of the Latin America office. I mean, these are top-level executives that were let go, among many, many others. Um, and, you know, this, this happens. It, it was to be expected when a company buys another company for that much money, they're going to bring in their own people. Um, but, you know, it just kind of happened uh, in one day, so it's, it's very noteworthy, and it happened three months after the sale. And from what I was told, most of the employees were dreading it and expecting it, and uh, the morale was very down. And so, uh, you know, I feel for those people, and I feel for the people who have to come in and replace them, and I feel for the people who are still there who saw a lot of their friends and colleagues just leave, you know, with boxes in hand and uh, had to leave the building. So it's, a, it's really a tough time, and that's why I think it's a dark day. Regardless of what you think of the UFC or what the UFC was before all this happened, you never like to hear that people lose their jobs. It's really interesting to see right now with all the layoffs and then these the infighting between fighters and management and fighters leaving. You have all of this going on, and then at the top, you have a guy in Conor McGregor who really has a stronghold on the UFC as a whole. He basically does what he wants to do, fights who he wants to fight. Are you okay with that? Did he earn it in your mind? Hell yeah, he earned it. Uh, Conor worked his ass off, and he built him... You know, he built himself this empire and, and this persona and this following. I mean, the UFC obviously gave him the platform, but he did most of the grunt work himself. Uh, and the dream is to get to his position. The dream is to be that powerful that you could call the shots. I mean, that's what's so revolutionary about Conor. He made talking about big money, you know, just the norm. And it was never the norm. Um, he pushed the envelope. He said that I demand this and that. And he said, I want to get two belts. Like, he really is calling his own shots. And before, it was always falling in line with the UFC. And if you speak up, you're going to be blacklisted. But he can speak up as much as he wants, and he won't be blacklisted as long as he wins because he brings them a lot of revenue. Um, and I wish that more fighters had that kind of power who weren't afraid to speak up and, and ask for what they want. So, yeah, I have absolutely no problem with what Connor is doing, and, and, and I hope that more fighters get to be in that position. Errol, switching the subject a bit and speaking of Connor and UFC 205, what do you like think is like the potential like ceiling for that fight? What like I mean, obviously this is the biggest card in in UFC history and potentially in the history of MMA. What do you think is the potential ceiling for that fight? What do you mean by ceiling? In terms in, of like buy rate, interest, the popularity. Oh. I mean, this has just exploded at least here. We've yeah. been counting down for weeks. Well, you know, one of the sort of underrated uh, aspects to this card is that there's this big break. And it's funny we call it a big break, it, it big by today's standards. But, you know, there's three weeks off. There's that uh, November 5th show in Mexico City, and then it's New York. And I think that, you know, sort of distance makes the heart grow fonder. Um, if we're just allowed to miss the UFC a little bit, I think fans will start to get excited. So I now think that because of this break, fans are getting a lot more excited for this card. I mean, the card speaks for itself, but it allows them the opportunity to sell it a little more and to let it sort of stew in our minds. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to do more than a million pay-per-views. It's going to be the biggest gate in UFC history. Uh, the ticket prices are absurd, but people are going to end up buying them, and that's why it's going to be the biggest gate. Um, I think it depends on 
you know, what kind of press it gets leading up to that point. But I think that all the mainstream media is going to cover it. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if it can actually surpass, you know, the 1.6, 1.7 mark. But I wouldn't be shocked because it's Connor, because, you know, history is on the line and all that stuff. Uh, the ceiling is, is, is pretty damn high. I mean, the UFC is paying a lot of money for this card because a lot of the fighters on this card get a piece of that pay-per-view. They have big salaries. But I'm happy that they stay true to their word from several years ago when they said they're going to bring a UFC 100 type card to MSG for the first time. This is better than 100 in my opinion, and uh, and that's good to see. The the one you know drawback to all of that is that the ticket prices are just so so high. They're they're on on StubHub. They're just they're absurd. Even they're in like the, in the nosebleeds, it's going to be at least over a thousand. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Now, uh, Joe Rogan touched on this recently. We're seeing, in boxing, we have de-emphasized the titles long ago, and they've focused more on big money fights. We're starting to see that a little bit in the UFC, possibly, with Conor McGregor not defending his featherweight belt, fighting Diaz. Do you see that trend maybe going the way of boxing, emphasizing the bigger money fights instead of the championship fights? Well, I think the whole sport is kind of going in the way of boxing in the sense that the new owners have paid a lot of money for the sport and they're just trying to put on the biggest fights possible. And if that means no title, like that's why I thought that, and, and Ronda may have had a big part in this, but Ronda versus Holly Holm, Ronda versus Chris Cyborg, Ronda versus Misha Tate um, are much bigger fights than Ronda versus Amanda Nunes, even if it is for the belt. Um, but I understand, you know, you want her to get the belt and maybe she wants to get the belt and maybe you want her to, not come back to someone who she has a history with who knows but yeah i think that it's you know with the rise of power the the the, the, the excuse me the rise in power of conor mcgregor um more fighters gaining more leverage and power the the new owners wanting to make more money yeah they're, they're going to start putting on big fights regardless of if a title is on the line for sure and you talk about big money, and obviously UFC 205 is big money on pay-per-view and in the, at the box office and in gate. In, but there's all this hype going into it being the first fight at Madison Square Garden. There was so much that went into it, years and years and years, of trying to get New York to legalize it, and they held out, and they finally got it legalized. Why is it so important? What does this represent, UFC finally making it to the Garden? Well, I mean, you guys are New Yorkers, right? Mm -hmm. All you guys? Yep. Oh, yeah. We're all from New York. New York is the, the, the media capital of the world. It's, it's home to the 2017 NBA champion New York Knickerbockers. <laughs> I mean, everyone. I was, uh, was going to ask you after, are you, are you as excited for the season as I am, Ariel? <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm a little disappointed in this Derrick Rose situation. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Hopefully it gets resolved in the next mm. day or so. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, justice prevails. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the young guys like Billy Hernan Gomez. I love mm -hmm. him off the bench, and I hope he gets more playing time. I like Brandon Jennings. Hopefully Noah is healthy. I think Mel is going to have a big year after the Olympics. KP is, you know, is the god. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'm very excited about the season. <laughs> Poison uh, god. Going back to you, I, I, can, I can talk to you guys about that for uh, multiple hours. But, um, you know, New York, it always kind of felt like it was a black eye on the sport that uh, they couldn't put on events in the state of New York, not just in New York City, but in Brooklyn and Albany and Rochester and Syracuse. New York is New York, and it's, it's a place that everyone wants to be. Um, and now that they can do it, while 
you know, the commission is a bit of a mess and the taxes that need to be paid are very high. So it doesn't make it very uh, inclusive for all promotions. Hopefully that changes over time. I do feel sort of this sense of completion, like, okay, now we're essentially legal all over the world. There are a few holdouts, like France being a notable one. But it's good that, you know, we can no longer put New York on that list because that was embarrassing, quite frankly. Uh, Full disclosure, I am from New Jersey, and we have had some big big fights Mm -hmm. in New Jersey, but nothing like this. Uh, well, can I say something about New Jersey? I mean, I mm-hmm. hope that the UFC doesn't turn its back on New Jersey because New Jersey has been there for the last, you know, 16 or so years mm-hmm. when New York wasn't there. And they did put on some big fights, and the commission was very good to the UFC. So, you know, I'm not one of these people who says, like, F New Jersey, you know, they don't deserve big <laughs> fights anymore. I, I hope that they continue to go there because they have to remember that Jersey allowed them to, you know, put on events across the river, but still do those press conferences in New York and gain some of that, you know, PR and momentum and all that. So I, I hope yeah. that New Jersey is still in the UFC's plans. Yeah, John Jones first won the title in the the, the Prudential yes. Center. And uh I UFC one twenty eight. Oh yeah. Now Ariel, we know we I know we have to let you go. Uh thank you so much for coming on to this show and we hope to have you on very soon. Yes, all the best to you guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Finally, you guys have me on the show after I've been asking you for weeks and months. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was a pleasure, and uh, go Knicks. Thank you very much. Thanks go so much. Thank Thanks, you. Ariel. That was the wonderful Ariel Hawani. I've been trying to get him on to the show for weeks after I met him at the UFC 205 press conference. What a joy. It, it, seriously, what a joy! What it was a guy he to was. Have nice guy. Very nice on, interview. I know. And it was a very funny coincidence with my oh, dad this gosh. weekend. That was unbelievable. And now I want to talk about another uh, big development in the world of mixed martial arts. In the world of MMA. Oh boy! And that is the continuous from the Greeks to the Gracies mixed martial arts training of our own Matt Breen. <laughs> so. Full disclosure, Maddie, you you started last week. I started uh, about two weeks ago. A- and what have you done so far this week? Um, I've taken a couple jujitsu courses now and a couple uh, karate and striking courses. I went last night and it was mostly uh, boxing techniques, which we did. So it was a lot of like jabs, hooks, crosses. Um, but the the thing about MMA training that I was most surprised at is the uh, the warm ups. Mm. The warm-ups are, are so much more intense than you can imagine. Like, you start off with, like, 250 jumping jacks. Um, you stretch each other out at one point. It's, like, very, like, intense. Like, the stretching, like, hurts. Um, and I could definitely, like, feel myself getting, like, a little bit better. Like, some, like um, last week I would get a little more tired after the, the warm-ups, but I'm getting a little bit better with it now. You and feel you feel yourself getting better, but do you feel yourself getting more athletic into fighting shape at this point? That's, that's what I was trying to say. Like, yeah. I, I think I'm getting ho- a little more in shape, hopefully. And I had a, bris- a jiu-jitsu class the other night, too, and it was the first time that I got to what was the actually... First, what was the first thing you were taught? The first thing I was taught was how to go from guard to side control. Ah, that's a big one. James, have you mm-hmm. ever thought about a little MMA training in your future? Ah, uh, that would be... A no. <laughs> we'll leave it to the fighters. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the fighting to the fighters, the talking to the talkers, such as myself and yourself. Yeah, never for me either. And on that note, uh, if I can have one thing, to, oh. one more thing oh, yeah, to of say. Course. Of course. This is the, the fighter on the show. I 
got the first chance to like really roll and like kind of spar in jujitsu the other day. Um, and it was a lot of fun, but the one thing that I was also very surprised at jujitsu is how much cardio it is. And like, you don't really like appreciate when someone's on the bottom and someone's on top ground and pounding or inside control that it is so difficult to breathe. Like it is so like straining and like you need such intense cardio to do it. Um, but I finally did get the spar the other day, and I think I got put in an armbar like five times. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got Ronda Rousey a couple of times. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, your face isn't too messed up coming in today. I so like right. No more messed up than it I, is normally. I will. I will. Wow, Tom. I'll put that as a win. And on that note, uh, we that we are just about done here on the Pound for Pound podcast. Well, actually, let's get one more thing in before we go. We have to get one reference in per show of just how great our producers look in today. Matt Breen has been going three weeks. Matt Breen's been going three weeks to the UFC gym. He'll never, ever catch up to our producer. Maybe one day we'll have him come on to talk. I mean, he (laughs) One time we'll have him to come on to talk about it because... Even to just talk about, like, fitness in His regimen, you know? He's All like right. a guru. Uh, uh boy. It, it, he is the ultimate couch potato. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know about his, his... How he acts. You know, I see him go to the gym every day. He's my roommate. I see and, his habits. Oh, boy. And on that note, we will bid you farewell today from the Pound for Pound podcast. The countdown to UFC 205 is on from our... Venerable producer Mario Nicastro, from the excellent Matt Breen, and James, from the voice of God, Tom Trizuli. I am James Cargan. Until next week, we will bid you adieu. <laughs>